Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. This is Pat Harridan from Lockton in Boston, uh, sitting in, talking um, all things employee benefits and insurance. And for the first hour, we spent uh, with my guest, Josh O'Gara, uh, talking about life insurance. I've got a couple more questions. Um, but Josh, I'm going to ask you at the end uh, of the show as well, but um, can you give out your contact info just in case we run up against uh, the clock? Yeah, absolutely, Pat. Um, so my email is Josh, J-O-S-H, at O'Gara, O-G-A-R-A, F is in Frank, G is in George, dot com. So it's O'Gara, F-G, dot com. And you can reach me at 617-794-0477. Uh, my website is just O'Gara, F-G, dot com. It's O-G-A-R-A. Yep. Great. I'll I'll ask you again in about uh, forty five minutes or so. But uh, just wanted to make sure we got it in there because um, you've. Uh, I'm sure people have um, specific questions. Um, so, Josh, last two questions I wanted to ask um, on um, on life insurance. You mentioned. Um, you know, term policies and all that. What should people do if if their policy is, if they have a term policy, let's say, and they're in their last two years or so of the policy, what should they do to, um, or what should they be doing um, before that policy expires, assuming that they still need the coverage? Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, there's a few options there, and I, I get calls from people all the time, and, you know, they're 50s or 60s that bought 20 or 30 year term <laughs> policies are getting to the end. Um, and you know, there's there's kind of a school of thought where you just need insurance coverage to to retirement, and then you don't need it afterwards. Um, but uh, I would I would argue that in a lot of situations that that's not true either, because you know you have financial commitments that continue, or you didn't quite reach financial goals that you were trying to get to, um, and you still need some level of coverage. So there's there's a few things you can do with a term policy. Uh, first and foremost, you want to check into uh, whether or not there's conversion privileges on them. Um, most companies will allow you to convert a term policy uh, up to uh, age 65. Some extend that to 70. Um, and I think there might now be a carrier to that go to 75. But one way or the other, you should always check with the company to see if you can convert the policy. Um, the other option is to get a new policy. Um, typically, uh, you're not gonna get the same health rating that you got when the policy was originally issued because you, know, you more than likely have had some, some level of health change uh, since the policy was issued. Um, so you'll probably get a different rate. Um, but assuming you can get a policy underwritten, um, you can either get a new term policy. Uh, again, you can get 
you, you can get annual renewable current policies. So if you really only need coverage for a few years, sometimes this happens with business cases where you know somebody just needs to protect their their uh, you know uh, keep people for a few years before they retire or something along those lines. Um, you know you can get annual renewable policies. Most people um, you know opt for a ten year term period because the crossover between an annual renewable policy and a 10-year policy is usually four or five years uh, to where the annual renewable policy actually becomes more expensive than just doing a 10-year term. Um, so the first op- option is converting. The second option is um, uh, getting a new policy. Uh, the, the third option that a lot of people don't consider uh, is, is actually what's called a life settlement. Um, where you, you can actually sell your policy to a third party. Now that's, that's you know, only applicable in situations where you don't actually need the insurance coverage, you'd rather just have the money. Um, but uh, there are companies out there that will actually buy insurance policies and what they end up doing is actually, again, this is assuming there's a conversion privilege, they convert the term policy to a permanent policy and then they buy that permanent policy from you. So, um, you know, there's, there's, it's a little bit, you know, there's been some bad actors in that space over the years. So, um, you know, it's definitely something that you want to take a close look at if you're considering something like that, but it is an option that's out there. Right. And, and basically, you know, again, without going down the rabbit hole, just so people understand people, you know, let's say you've got a, you know, million dollar policy. The, per, the the settlement agent will buy that million dollar plus and they'll they'll pay the premiums to get the million dollar payout when you uh, eventually die and they'll give you whatever you know value that they put it on I mean it's obviously based on your age and health but it's obviously less than <laughs> less than what uh, yeah. what the uh, policy's worth plus the premiums they'll have yeah. to pay so um, yeah. right but it's a matter of you know people the, the message is, you know, people shouldn't go, just like with health insurance, where there's a, an actual, still an actual penalty if you don't have it <laughs> uh, yeah. for a certain period of time. Life insurance, the penalty for not having it is you could be, you know, your family could end up paying um, uh, taxes um, or, you know, paying uh, for things that they were expecting life insurance to cover. Um, so, yeah, so yeah. if you if you look back, you may not have it. Um, I remember, Josh, maybe this is not something that you do often. I, I had to do it with some uh, relatives who died. Um, I, I can't remember what it's called, but I remember I did a search or I sent in the info to see what, what life insurance policies were out there on someone. Um, and it was like... I forget how it worked, but it, it was, you know, for a relative of mine, I didn't really know if they had life insurance. And I did some sort of search and found a couple of, you know, small policies that were out there. Yeah. So, the, I mean, each state has the unclaimed, you know, uh, oh, yeah. unclaimed property division. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what you're referencing. It can, it, 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 I'm, I'm gonna, I'll be straightforward with you. I think insurance companies need to do a better job of informing beneficiaries. Um, you know, about existing policies. Uh, The information is out there. They can find the people in most instances. Um, Most, you know, you know, the more reputable insurance companies, you know, will, will, you know, make an effort to find beneficiaries. 
Um, but, you know, there are companies out there that intentionally, in my opinion, don't don't really do a great job of informing people. So, right. um, yeah, in terms of like a database that you can go to, uh, I'm not I'm not familiar with that, but, you know, um, it may be out there. Yeah, and that was good. You actually jumped into my last point on life insurance before we hit disability was beneficiaries. Um, yeah. Again, I work on the mostly on the employer group side where in it on initial, you know, when when we first rolled this program out for the employees, um, let's say that was like 10 years ago, you know, we had everyone sit down and again, usually it was paper. Um, we had them fill out a beneficiary, typically a spouse. If it was an unmarried um Employee, they would put down their parents or grandparents or something. But beneficiary designation is something that, you know, you should do at least, you know, when you do your annual review with your financial planner, you should at least, A, know who they are. And to your point you just made, Josh, your beneficiary should know that they're the beneficiary. Um, yeah. Because... You know, when someone dies, is not the time to go searching for all these documents. And if if the owner of the policy, which is again, this is a that that's for a different show, whether the owner should also be the insured on the policy, but the owner of the policy is the one that can change the beneficiary, and sometimes that's not up to date. You know, you've got deaths, marriages, remarriages you know, minors who've now become of age. Um, but what do you typically advise people on the beneficiary piece, Josh? Yeah, I mean, so you're absolutely right, Pat. Beneficiary designation is one of the biggest issues that I see on existing policies for exactly the reasons that you said. Um, divorces and remarriage, you know, just change in life circumstances. So, um you know, generally speaking, the beneficiary, it should never be the estate. Um, right. I, there are some some situations where, um, you know, you're intentionally putting assets into the estate to pass through a will or something along those lines. But, um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I'm not an estate planning attorney, so there's a lot of intricacy to this. But it, generally speaking, you don't want it in your estate because it then becomes a accountable asset in your estate. One of the, the biggest benefits to life insurance is that it passes outside your estate. And particularly in a state like Massachusetts where the estate tax here is, uh, is, is the exemption uh, for estate tax is only a million dollars. So when you take into account, you know, primary residence with any kind of, you know, investment accounts and you add on top of that life insurance, you could easily be well in excess of, you know, the estate tax limit. Um, so you're, in, you're accidentally causing a problem um, from that perspective. The other thing is, you know, any assets in the estate have to go through probate. Um, the, the the nice thing about life insurance is it passes outside of probate because it's it's a contract with the beneficiaries, so um, it becomes immediately available to those beneficiaries. Now, who you want those beneficiaries to be? Um, you know, typically, you know, it's it's wife and then kids. Um, a lot of people will set up living trusts where they have specific beneficiaries designated to the trust. So the, the life insurance will actually pass to the trust first, and then it's just distributed according to how the uh, trust is set up. But um, 
Yeah, there, there, there are definitely a lot of moving parts to beneficiary designations. Um, and uh, it, it needs to be reviewed uh, on a pretty regular basis to make sure that the insurance is still meeting the objection, objectives that you have for that coverage. Right, and it's going to the right person. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, everyone's heard the anecdotal stories about you know the two spouses showing up to collect, uh, you know, from the <laughs> from the death of uh, an employee. Um, but also, too, you, you made a good point. You know, neither of us are, are tax accountants or tax attorneys. But if you do everything right. Uh, life insurance can be tax-free. So, you know, that million right. dollars is a million dollars, not, you know, 650000 It's it's the it's the true million that comes in. And, and, and again, as you mentioned, you can apply your formulas of capital preservation, whether it's 4%, 8%, whatever it is, to that amount without worrying about the taxes on that initial life insurance payout obviously if it generates income then you're going to pay taxes on that but yeah the the key is just doing it right uh from day one um all right so we've gone over which i knew we would on life insurance but i did want to talk a little bit about disability uh insurance uh for a couple of reasons one is probably uh, you may have the stats not as many people have it um you do have some of the people do have some coverage through work, um, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and some people think that Social Security takes care of um, disability. Uh, none of those things I said are true, are 100% true. Um, so, Josh, can you just talk to our listeners a little bit about just what is high-level disability uh, insurance? Yeah, so... so the, the most basic way to think about it is it's paycheck protection. So it, it protects your paycheck in the event that you become unable to work. Um, and as you said, Pat, um, only, only about 50 or 60% of people have dis- disability insurance. Um, and most of the time it's, it's provided through the employer. Um, it's a taxable benefit. So, you know, you might have a, um, let's just say your, your group uh, disability insurance policy replaces $5,000 per month of income. Um, you actually have to take into account taxes on that $5,000 a month. Um, so if you're in the 25% tax bracket, your $5,000 per month is actually $4,000 per month. I did the math right. No, a little bit, little bit less than that. But, um, so, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, It's, it's something to consider for sure, even if you have uh, existing group coverage. Uh, the other big issue with group coverage is that there are maximums on the monthly benefit amount. Um, typically, most care, most companies offer between five and $10,000 per month to benefit your higher income uh, companies where you have a lot of, you know, if, you, if it's like a, a law office or something like that, you might have a higher monthly benefit amount. Um, but even the highest benefit amounts, monthly benefit amounts are twenty-five to $30,000 per month. Now that's a, that's a lot of benefit. That's a lot of, of uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of monthly benefit. But if you're making, you know, you know $500,000 a year, um, you know, you, you, you still can have a, a, uh, a gap in income there. 
So, you know, there's, there's two considerations. There's the taxability of the group benefits. There's the maximum monthly benefit amount where you might need protection above that. Um, and then there's the uh, um, uh, consideration of, of taxes that go in that, into, into account. Take, you need to take that into account as well. So um, most people just assume if, nine times out of 10, if I ask somebody if they have coverage, they say, yeah, I have it at work. And then the next question is, okay, have, how much? And they have no idea how much. Right. Um, so the, the assumption is if, if, if I have it through work, I'm okay. Um, only, only, like I said, only about 50, 60% of people have coverage. And, you know, about two thirds of people are, will, will have, will experience some sort of disability during their working life to age 65. So it's, uh, it, even for the people that do have it, it's probably not enough coverage. Right. And so um, two things. Um, and then after the break, we'll talk about the pure disability. So uh, a lot of people always say, well, we have, we also, if I'm employed, I have workers comp. Um, so yep. work, workers comp, just so everyone is, is if you're hurt on the job. Um, so workers comp is sort of a combination medical and uh, income plan. But again, it's only if you're hurt on the job. So if you work in a high-risk profession, obviously that's very important. Um, and now with a lot of us working at home and, and some other remote things, um, there's a little bit of, <laughs> there's a few issues that with that. But just remember, workers' comp only uh, pays you if you are um, hurt on the job um, from an income perspective and also your medical. And the second thing that we hear a lot is Social Security disability, and again, I, I've this is we've actually, we have actually had a full show, or maybe a half a show, just on this topic alone, and just like the death benefit for Social Security is only about I think it's two hundred and fifty-five bucks or something like that when you die, um, but for those people that are covered by Social Security, which isn't everyone, so if you're a municipal. Uh, a governmental employee, typically you're not covered by Social Security. Um, but Social Security disability, a couple of things, just from my experience, seeing it interact with the group plans is A, very difficult to qualify for because you literally have to be totally disabled, which, you know, in some cases means, you know, the disability will result in death or you can't work at all or I think... Josh, it's like you lose two activities of daily living or something like that. It's very, the threshold to get Social Security disability is high. And then secondly, the Social Security disability is based on your earnings record. So there's no like 5,000, 10,000 a month. It's, it's literally based on your earnings record. Um, anything you want to add to the Social Security or comp before we flip over to the other, Josh? Yeah, it, it, I think those are great points, Pat. The other thing to, to note is that a lot of people, you know, just assume that uh, you're going to need disability because you got hurt. Um, right. Sickness is a huge, uh, you know, um, more than half of disability claims are not due to getting hurt. It's due to things like cancer and, you know, diabetes and whatever mm -hmm. uh, medical condition that com can come up through your life. Um, so workers' comp wouldn't cover something like that anyway, um, regardless of you know where it happened. You know, obviously, you know, workers' comp covers you if you get hurt on the job. 
Um, and then the, the other big issue is the, the time it takes to, to get those claims processed. You know, workers' companies isn't as bad as Social Security disability, but Social Security disability, you know, can easily take six to 12 months to actually get claims paid on, on something like that. It takes a long time for them to process that stuff. Uh, and as you said, it's, it's very hard to qualify um, for to begin with. It has to be a permanent condition. Um, so, you know. Right. And also, too, you know, I forget what the stats are. It's probably higher now given COVID and the, I mean, the first, uh, I forget what the term was, but, you know, the the declination rate for, like, applicants for their first time was, you know, like 80% or some bizarre number, Josh, where most people that apply, the majority of people, let's put it this way, the majority of people that apply for Social Security disability are denied um, their first time. They have to... Yeah. Appeal, and that's why you see a lot of these ads for um, attorneys and advocates that will help you, um, you know, sort of navigate the Social Security system. Um, yeah, and, and you're right on the comp piece. You know, we do work with some employers, especially on the government side, where um, workers' comp does cover cancer, especially if you're in a high, like a, you know, firefighter. Um, you know, but again, it's very rare where that happens. But that's a great point, especially with COVID now and people being, you know, COVID, um, again, is a disease, right? It's a something that could qualify you for um, disability. And to your point, you know, all through the last couple of years, Josh, people have been, you know, calling HR saying, well, what if I'm on COVID and I, I'm disabled for you know, I have to quarantine. Does that count? As a, you know, all these questions that come up, similar to life, where you don't really know the answer until you need it. So, we'll we'll finish our discussion after this next break, and we'll cover um, sort of the group disability piece, and then the individual uh, disability piece with my guest uh, Josh O'Gara after the break. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. This is uh, Pat Harridan from Lockton in Boston, sitting in for Mike McNamara. And as I mentioned uh, a couple of breaks ago, it was good to hear uh, Mrs. McNamara. Also good to hear Bob Parker's voice doing my doing my uh, read. Uh, love to see him in the uh, in the studio. I miss Bob. Um, so my guest uh, today is uh, Josh O'Gara from the O'Gara Financial Group. We spent um, a good part of the morning talking about. Uh, life insurance uh, on the individual and group side started talking about disability and we'll finish this last segment here just um, sort of talking about disability so Josh um, you had mentioned the group side so a couple of things just from my perspective on uh, disability uh, from the group side so employers as we mentioned earlier (coughs) like to offer benefits um, to their employees Um, Life insurance was one of them. Disability is another because, again, they're required to offer a workers' comp. You know, usually every state uh, has a workers' comp requirement. There isn't a requirement to offer separate disability, but they do, um, you know, as a financial protection 
uh, vehicle for their employees. And you mentioned sort of the good and bad with disability. So the, similarly, uh, group disability plans like group life insurance plans have benefits when offered by an employer. Typically, there is um, a preferred price uh, because, again, there's a sort of homogeneous group of individuals being covered um, by the disability. There's less marketing costs. There's premium payment is consolidated. There's a bunch of reasons why insurance companies like group plans. Um, and also, you know, typically the, from a risk perspective, um, even though there could be somewhat different occupations within the same company, uh, they're still in the same you know line of business. Um, but the two problems with um, group plans, because their group is they don't necessarily tailor themselves to individuals. The first one you mentioned, Josh, is a good one: is the limits. Um, typically, you know, when you think about a an employer of significant size, like let's say it's you know a thousand employees, you're going to have people making, you know, $35,000 a year. You're going to have people making, you know, six figures, right? And from a group perspective, how do you price, what's the, the appropriate level of disability coverage, meaning a maximum, so that, you know, the price isn't uh, overly high to, you know, for the, for the lower income people, but it also doesn't cut off a, a, you know, a high number of people from a maximum. So the maximum is, is key, and most employees, uh, unless they're new hires and really went through their new hire kit, don't really know what the maximum is. So that's issue one. You should know what your maximum is and how it's calculated. The other nuance uh, to, and this is for all disability plans, but it comes up on the group side as well, the other nuance is what's the definition of income? So if you're someone whose salary, bonus, or commission, do you want to make sure you know what counts? Some policies only cover base income, not variable comp. Um, so the definition of earning. But let's assume that in Josh's example, you know, the $80,000 a year employee, if there's a maximum in there that's under, and, a, and the other, the way disability plans work, just so people understand is, you typically get a percentage of your um, income. And I don't know, Josh, on the individual side, but on the, on the group side, 60%, 66, you know, and two thirds is kind of the, the highest that I've seen a group plan, maybe 70, but that's sort of it. Is it a little higher on individual? I know there's gap coverage, but what do you see? Yeah. Yeah, 70 is probably going to be the highest you get on the, on the individual side as well. There might be a carrier here or there, like a high-limit carrier that will do more than that. But, um, yeah, generally speaking, 70 would be the max. It's usually around, it's usually 66, two-thirds. Right. So, and, and the just, and again, the, yeah. Right, and the idea for Go that ahead. is, um, from an underwriting perspective, um, they don't want you getting 100% of your income while you're disabled. The theory, so that's the kind of reality of underwriting. The theory is your expenses are less if you're, if you're unable to work. Not 100% true, um, but that's the theory. So typically with any policy, you've got two maximum, well, a maximum built in. You've got a percent of your income, so it could be 60, 66 and two thirds, maybe 70, but also this, this sort of 
monthly uh, maximum. And when we're talking about disability, there's two different types, short and long-term. We're kind of talking more about long-term. There is short-term disability that's usually a little bit different. It typically pays 100% um, for a certain amount, but we're, we're talking about the long-term disability piece, the protection piece. Um, so there's that. And then you mentioned the second um, issue, excuse me, which is the taxability. And that's where it really on the group side is really uh, where it hits the road from a reality standpoint. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you mentioned the first cutoff. And then the second thing is on the group side, if the employer pays the premium, the benefits taxable. So that 60% now becomes 40%. So we always tell people, can you live on, you know, 40% of your income? The answer is usually no. <laughs> So from, from your perspective, sort of how do you help someone with disability, Josh? Yeah, um, the, so the, 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 the best place to start is getting a copy of that group book, booklet because there are some companies that have, um, you know, uh, a base uh, amount paid by the employer and then the employee can choose to, you know, buy additional coverage and that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, it's, it, it varies case to case. So the most important thing is to get a copy of that group booklet. Um, the, the definition of income is huge, as you mentioned, because, you know, if you have a, 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 a base salary plus commission, if you're a salesperson or something along those lines, a lot of times that, that, um, that commission, which could be pretty consistent, you know, a uh, significant amount of your income, uh, isn't covered under the group plan. Uh, so getting a copy of that group booklet, figuring out <clears throat> uh, what uh, what the actual uh, coverages are for, for the, the employer policy. And then the other huge consideration, typically what you wanna do uh, is at the very least cover your fixed costs. So what does it take on a monthly basis to keep your lights on? Um, you may not need a full replacement of income. Um, I think in a lot of cases you probably would because even if you're not, um, you know, uh, even if you're not, uh, you, you don't have uh, a majority of your income going to fixed costs, you still, you know, you're, you're putting money away for retirement and that sort of thing. That's another huge benefit to having an individual policy. A lot of those in individual policies will actually make up for any lost retirement comp contributions. Uh, during the time that you're disabled, uh, because disability is one thing, not being able to work. Um, but the other consideration, particularly, you know, if you if you're you are disabled for a long period of time, you know, a few years, um, and then you know you're able to go back to work, but you've missed retirement contributions during that entire period of time that you've been out of work. So that's something that a lot of people don't think about as well. So. Um, it's really just, you know, individual consideration, figuring out what your income looks like, um, at the very least covering your fixed expenses. But um, in, in most cases, you want to have uh, more uh, money uh, set aside because, as you mentioned, Pat, you know, the assumption is that costs go down. But particularly because of, you know, the direction that health insurance is going right now, a lot of times costs can go up. Because, you know, if you're disabled, you're getting significant medical bills in a lot of situations. Um, and having some additional income there uh, to protect you against that uh, potential 
is uh, is really important, and it's not something that's talked about enough, in my opinion. Right, and that that's a key point. So, coming going back to the group side of things, you know. At a certain point, and we'll talk about sort of how to prepare for, you know, when disability ends, because it does end. Um, so on the group side of things, let's say you become, and if we have time, we'll just we'll sort of get into the def- more definitions. But again, this is a, another reason why you should have an advisor helping you, because the definitions of earnings are important but also the definition of you know work is important like whether you can work in your own line of um business anymore or do any job i mean that's another key consideration but just going back to the group side of things so let's say you've got a um a group disability plan with no individual um plan or no um supplemental plan and your, you know, the doctors and the medical people have said, hey, you're going to be permanently disabled. Now, granted, there's Social Security and other things down the road that, that would offset, you know, if you did receive it, some of the benefit. But let's assume you're going to be permanently disabled and you're, you know, 40 years old. Your employer probably has a policy somewhere that says if you're disabled for six or 12 months or more, you're no longer considered an employee. So all of the things that Josh mentioned about like retirement savings, 401k, even health insurance, those all now need to be paid um, or contributed to from the disability contract. So you need to kind of figure that out. So for the most part, you know, I think if anyone's doing math right now, they could figure it out that a lot of people are probably uninsured for disability. Um, But in terms of... um, Talk about someone, Josh, how do you sort of plan it out? If someone you know is, you know, from a permanently disabled, when do those benefits sort of end uh, and how do you sort of prepare them for that? Um, You know, assuming that the majority of folks that you're working with are probably age 67, normal retirement age or somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, so so that's, most most long term disability plans on a, on a on a from a group perspective go to Social Security normal retirement age. So um, you know it will it will vary based on when you were born. So whenever Social Security says normal retirement age is, that's when the uh, long term disability benefits will go to from a group perspective. Um, that's typical. There, there are some that are shorter than that, but mm-hmm. usually you're going to Social Security normal retirement age. With the individual plans, there's a lot more uh, flexibility. There's a lot more different policy designs in there. Um, you know, so they, it it really depends upon the underlying policy. I, I personally, I think people should have protection at least to age 65 from a disability perspective. Um, you know that obviously that there's a, a cost for that. So sometimes people will say, you know, I'm I'm okay with a five or a ten year uh, policy, and then we'll figure it out after that. Um, you know, if you're disabled for five or ten years and you you are con- you're considered to be permanently disabled, there's a lot more considerations that need to be taken into account in terms of um, you know healthcare expenses long term. You know where you're living. Uh, that's 
that's another area where long-term care can come into play because a lot of people, uh, I know, I don't know if we're going to have time to get into long-term care, but a lot of people assume that long-term care is only for old people. But that's not <laughs> right. necessarily true. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in long-term care facilities that are, you know, just, you know, have some sort of physical condition where they keep, they need assistance on a daily basis. And maybe they, maybe it's paralysis, maybe it's, MS, you know, something along those lines. There's there are a lot of people in long term care facilities that aren't necessarily, you know, eighty or ninety years old. Um, so, you know, it's it's again the from from a planning perspective, you know, from an insurance planning perspective, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a financial planner. I do I don't do financial planning, but from an insurance perspective, you need to take a lot of different variables into account, um, and you know, if, if, if you have, um, you know, if you're involved in, you know, a riskier occupation or something along those lines, or if you have, you know, a family history of some sort of hereditary condition, that's, that's all, those are all things that need to be taken into account um, in, in planning for the long term, um, where those, where that income will be coming from, because saving up enough money in an investment account for all these potential scenarios uh it 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 would be uh very difficult to be able to you know have enough money set aside particularly if something happens when you're younger and you haven't had enough as much time to accumulate assets either in uh retirement plans or in investment accounts right and josh what is um sort of the underwriting process we talked about it on the life side what what is that underwriting process for um and, and do we have the same issue with carriers and stuff like that on uh, on the life side like what what does someone need to do like, is there a you know medical and how does that work on the individual side yeah and actually uh great question because i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of advisors don't like uh, talking about uh, disability insurance <laughs> Because um, the life insurance underwriting is tough. <laughs> the disability insurance underwriting is a lot tougher, <laughs> um, and it's 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 because they're they're not necessarily taking just they're not in, taking into account just mortality. Right. They're also taking into account morbidity. So if you had you know if you had uh, you know shoulder surgery or something like that, they're going to take that into our you know, shoulder surgery. Isn't that a good example? Because that's not going to. And let's say back surgery, and, and you know you have an occupation where you're sitting at your desk all day, and you don't necessarily have any residual impact from that. You know you, you've recovered well from the back surgery. They're still going to take that into account long term, and they may you know exclude any future uh, uh, you know issues with your back on that particular policy. Um, so I've, I've even had instances where you know things like chiropractor visits, you know, somebody may not have any, you know, musculoskeletal issues, but they go see your chiropractor and, you know, the, the underwriter may rate the policy because, you know, they're the individual seeing a chiropractor and the assumption is that something must be wrong or, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of nuance that goes into it. Um, and again, you know, talking, talking to an advisor who has some experience, uh, on the disability side of things is important, but the, generally speaking, the underwriting process is the same. You submit the application, you do a medical questionnaire, 
um, the the underwriters on disability insurance a lot are a lot more likely to actually order medical records, so they actually see you know the treatments that you've had and the and the uh, the follow ups and that sort of stuff. Um, on the flip side of the coin, something you know like a heart attack that, that mm-hmm. may have a more significant impact on life insurance doesn't necessarily have as large an impact on disability insurance because um, you know that's more of a uh, mortality question than a morbidity question. Right, and um, I can't remember which one was it life or do- like which which one is a little less. Um, well, I guess they're all intrusive. But from a it, it, does the disability application ask you about your hobbies? Like, do you do like you know hang gliding and parachuting and base jumping and all that stuff? Yeah, they do. Uh, they both <laughs> they both do that. Um, but it, you know it's. From and I mean, they, under under again, it gets to how much coverage you're looking for and that right. sort of stuff. So you know, depending upon the carrier, you know, a lot of carriers have limited underwriting now for either let's say three thousand dollars a month or five thousand dollars a month of benefit, whatever they're looking at. Um, so as you as you increase the amount of coverage that you're looking for, the underwriting kind of goes along with it. You know, but if you're looking for, you know, a, a smaller amount of coverage, um, then the inter- underwriting won't be as, as tricky. But um, they're not, nobody, no carriers doing, it used to be when, when I started, you know, they, they'd hook you up to electrodes and make you run on a, on a treadmill to see how, you know, <laughs> how, how well your heart was working or something along those lines. The carriers just aren't doing that sort of thing anymore because they feel like they can gather enough information from, you know, the medical exam as well as the doctor's records and, you know, checking their data sources. Yep. And so from a protection standpoint, you know, insurance-wise, even, like you said, even if they've got it from on the group side, um, you know, and again... This is uh, unlike life, you know. It's um, the disability piece. You know, the we're always talking about the employee, and there could be situations. Obviously, there's many situations now where both spouses work, um, so they may have you know disability and life under both. Um, so again, another good idea why it shouldn't be in a vacuum because just because you know one employer's disability coverage may be, you know, a higher limit and employee paid, so it's a better benefit and the the spouse is not. So just because it's the same carrier or, um, you know, a similar company, don't assume that the the benefit is is correct. Because I'm assuming, Josh, when you have people bring in, you know, the booklets or the materials from the employer, people have no idea what they have coverage for. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and um, it, one of the things that you touched on earlier, Pat, was, you know, occupation and, um, you know, by definition yep. of dis- disability. I think that's an important consideration as well because from a group perspective, typically um, you're only going to be covered for your own occupation for two years. I know there's, there's, some, there's some variation to that depending upon the carrier and that sort of thing. But generally speaking, you're limited to your ocu- coverage on your occupation for two years, which means, you know, if, if I'm, you know, if I'm, uh, uh, you know, a lawyer 
and, you know, going into the courtroom every day, um, you know, and I'm a defense attorney and, you know, um, I, I'm covered under that definition of, of my occupation. The group policy um, will only cover you for two years for that particular occupation. And, right. you know, that as a defense attorney, I might be making, you know, half a million dollars a year, let's say. Um, and then I get disabled, and for whatever reason, I'm not able to go back to full capacity as a defense attorney, but I could uh, do, you know, I could be a law professor at a, at a law school or something along those lines where I, it's, it's still in the general field, but it's not the specific occupation I was working in, um, and my income may be reduced. That, that, group, that group disability policy will no longer um, pay benefits. On an individual side of things, you can actually get what's called an own occupation benefit where that specific occupation that you were employed in prior to the disability is covered for the entire period of disability. Um, so, you know, it's sometimes it's, I think, you know, that, that people, people can focus a little too much on that own occupation definition sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are, there are, you know, if you have a very specific occupation, you know, something like a hand surgeon comes up all the time because it's very, um, you know, very intricate and, you know, you need a lot of skill to do that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, if you, if you have something happen where you can't uh, do that specific occupation any longer, it'd be important to replace that full income. Yeah, and Josh, the other piece that I see a little bit now, especially now a little bit more, is the mental nervous, mental health, substance abuse yeah. kind of, do you just talk a little bit about that sort of as part of the disability policy? Yeah, again, it, that's something that's typically limited to two years on a group policy. Um, and, uh, you know, there are companies that offer uh, uh, unlimited mental nervous benefits, but typically um, you know, you see that only on in individual plans, not on group plans. So uh, it costs more to have that coverage, but if you're in a high-stress occupation, um, you know, it, it may make sense to look at a, a policy with an unlimited mental nervous uh, benefit. Um, or if you have, you know, some sort of family history of, you know, early onset, uh, you know, Alzheimer's, dementia, that sort of thing. So, um, although that's, I, I shouldn't say that, the, the Alzheimer's would be covered as a, a condition under any policy, though. Right. Um, it's, yeah, so yeah. Men, mental nervous is, yeah, an important consideration. Right, and the some and some poly, This is where again it pays to have a good advisor. Some policies also limit um, self-reported, um, you know, diagnoses or things like that. So you just want to be sure yeah. that you know you understand not only your life and um, your life insurance, but also your your disability. And you know, uh, sort of the themes from this morning, Josh, is just because you have it doesn't mean whether it's life disability or lo- we didn't get to long term care. But just because you have it doesn't mean you're covered in full, just like your car or homeowners insurance. Um, I guess that's one theme. Second theme would be, you know, even though you you can go to HR on your groups on the group side and they can explain the benefits to you, the HR people because this is my world. Obviously, they only know you know your income from there. They have no idea about your family 
situation, your spouse, if there are other people you're caring for. So they can only advise, they really can't advise you, but they can only provide advice based on what they know, which is, hey, you work for us and this is what you make. Um, but I do, I do think it's employees should know, obviously, what their coverage is from a life insurance and who their beneficiary is. On the disability, you should know what the monthly, it's usually expressed monthly, right, on the group side, um, Josh? Right. So yep. you, you should know your monthly max and also your percentage. So percentage of, in, I guess, four things, right? Def definition of earnings, like what, especially if you're a variable employee or va paid variably. Definition of earnings, your... Um, percent replacement, so whether it's 60, 66 and two-thirds or 70, and your monthly maximum. And um, and then, you know, maybe the other nuances. If does your employer pay the full premium, which means it's taxable, do you pay a portion of the premium or all of the premium? Then it would be non-taxable or a portion taxable. Um, and again, have all these things and then go to someone like Josh who can help you fill in the, I don't want to call them gaps, Josh, but, you know, kind of fill out the uh, the financial plan of the person, I guess is a better way to say it. Yeah, absolutely, Pat. I think, I think that was a great summary. Um, and, uh, yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate the time this morning. Um, you know, I've covered, covered a lot. Yeah, a lot, a lot. In, the two hours goes by, goes by quick. Um, yeah, exactly. I was, but, I'm surprised. So, Josh, give out your contact info one more time for those folks that may have questions on life or disability. Yeah. Uh, so, my uh, email is Josh J O S H at Ogara O G A R A F is in Frank C is in George dot com, or I can be reached at six one seven seven nine four zero four seven seven. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate that. Appreciate your time this morning. Appreciate the listeners. And tomorrow, happy Father's Day to all the fathers, grandfathers, uncles, and others out there. And we'll talk to you next week.